Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. This episode is presented by AT&T Business. Hey there, I have with me today someone very special. You're going to get a kick out of this guy. First of all, he's handsome. Second of all, he must have an IQ of about 185, maybe 285. I'm not even sure. I'm going to ask him that in a minute. Uh, but this gentleman is a trailblazer. Uh, he's remaking the news industry that people did not expect. And I expect a lot of people are going to follow. So uh, I'm going to introduce you now to, and I'm going to try my best with his name. It's from Morocco. It's a hard one to pronounce, so forgive me. And I've been practicing for two hours on it already. So it's Moshe Winunu. How'd I do? Perfect. All right. I think he's a liar, too, but we'll take it on that. <laughs> hey, if you're not already following Moshe on Instagram, you've got to be under a rock. So I insist you go check him out at M-O-S-H-E-H. Get going. But lucky for me, everyone calls him Moshe, and uh, I think you're going to love him as Moshe. I think it's a nickname or a real name or whatever it is that fits him so well. So I'm calling him Moshe throughout this interview. If you have anything to say to him, you call him Moshe, too. You have his permission, I'm sure. Am I right, Moshe? Absolutely. Okay, Moshe has been a producer for all the big names that you know in the news business. He's been a producer for Fox, CBS, NBC, and Bloomberg, and he's been enormously successful. But last year, he invented a whole new career for himself. And I would say unlikely new career related, but the idea that he'd spring out of all those big guys camp and do something on his own in his own likeness and design, I think takes a little bit of courage. And I think we're gonna find that uh, courage in him today if I, if I show him to you really good, okay? But he's been uh, delivering news by himself on Instagram, remarkable. And more remarkable than the following he's already built up in just a short year and a half. The great thing about it, more than anything, is the trust factor, everyone who gets their news from Moshe, totally trusts him. He could say, jump off a bridge, it's needed, and I think people would just go along and jump off the bridge. So I'm anxious to hear uh, his take on why people trust him. He's going to tell us how he switched tracks, why he switched tracks, and I also want to speak to him about whether the uh, traditional news is still trustworthy in any regard or do they get a bad rap. So that's it. And so now I'm going to go on to my questions. I have probably... I'd say three times more than I'll ever be able to ask. But why'd you switch tracks? Was it, uh, what was in your head at the time? That so, was what was most surprising to me. Why switch? You're successful. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of kind of where I was in my career and also um, the pandemic. Um, and a couple things happened at the same time. So I spent almost 18 years kind of going through the traditional trajectory that you aspire to in journalism. And doing so well. Uh, let's not understate that. You're doing so well. You were like a superstar. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I, my last role was uh, running the CBS Evening News, which is a big know, job. A, and a huge job. You're you know in charge of a 30-minute broadcast of the whole country. Um, at the time, I think we were... 75 years old. You wow. know, it started in 1948. Did they know your age when they assigned you? They did. They did. 
<laughs> and and frankly, it led to a lot of questions and skepticism um, that I had to try to overcome in that role, which is why does a guy who doesn't have any gray hair yet, why can he run that broadcast? Had you thought of growing a beard when you made that presentation? Uh, I, I, I tried my best with a little bit of facial hair to try to age myself a couple of years. Um, but um, And so had gotten to that point, um, and as – you know in television, the executives are fickle. They like to make decisions based on ratings, sometimes just based on their own whims. And so bottom line was a new management team came in at CBS. They want to go a different direction with the evening news. And so that led me to kind of look at my career, look at the fact that I'd been at CBS for nine years and say, maybe it's time to try something different. Um, and so started to explore other opportunities, uh, started to freelance consult for various media organizations, trying to uh, leverage the things I learned at CBS, um, particularly on the digital side. And again, this was in the midst or the very beginning of, of COVID? Just pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. So pre-COVID, I had about nine months pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. I'm working at another traditional media organization, just pre-COVID, Condé Nast mm-hmm. Entertainment, another 20th century media organization uh, that is trying to adapt to the 21st century and digital. Um, and then COVID hits. And uh, they shut down some of the new media stuff I was working on. And Odd in a way. I would think that uh, it would put you front and center if they were willing to switch then COVID hits. I would think that would usher in more enthusiasm for what you were trying to do. You would think so. Um, Ultimately, you know, management executives make decisions that they make. And I think there was, um, looking back now, a lot of media, you know, were going, uh, circling the wagons and going to what they knew. Um, and a huge concern about the advertising market at the time. So how do we pay for this stuff if nobody's buying ads? Bottom line is, I now find myself amid the pandemic in quarantine, and uh, I'm seeing a lot of uh, posts and questions and rumors and conspiracies that they're going to shut down all the bridges to New York, that they're locking down the country, that we're going under martial law. Just out there on the regular news channels. Well, out there on social media. Oh, social media. Out there on social media. Just fear in text messages. Some of which, by the way, we've learned later, were put out by the Chinese government. No um, way. As a misinformation campaign. You believe campaign. that? I, I do believe that. Then I believe you. Okay, thank you very much, Barbara. I trust you. Um, reliable people have said that some of that was a campaign to try to sow chaos within the U.S. Wow. by foreign intel organizations. Um, so... I start to try to fact check my friends and family, my close-knit group, like, hey, guys, don't worry about this. Maybe you should go to the grocery store. I understand there might be shortages soon, et cetera. My wife, uh, my now wife at the time, girlfriend, um, says, you know, you got to open up your account. You're private. You're talking to a few hundred people. Like, let the world, the world needs to hear, needs some facts right now. And, um, you know, that took, a little bit of, uh, you know, opening myself up to the world took something. It's scary, I'm sure. It's scary. And also, it's just like, I, I tend to be more of a private person. Mm-hmm. It might be surprising to those now, but like, I, it took some time to become comfortable with just being open about myself and my life and, and my opinions and, and whatnot. And so, it's early COVID. I've now opened up the Instagram feed. I've begun to fact check folks. And I've also said, listen, I know a former head of FEMA. I know folks at the NYPD. This is what you should be worried about. This is what you shouldn't be worried about. And by repeating unverified facts and rumors, um, at best, you're doing 
people a disservice. At worst, you're creating chaos and potentially, you know, you could see tens of thousands of people evacuating based on misinformation. Yeah, I mean, you see that even with what, why did we have 30,000 Haitians at the border? Well, a lot of that was WhatsApp threads and social media accounts with unverified information. And suddenly 30,000 people are at the border based on what they heard or what Crazy they were Crazy as that is, yes. And so in a city of 9 million in New York, I was a little worried. And by the way, high authorities at the NYPD and the U.S. military were worried that like rumors could create chaos, you know, could create people getting trampled, etc. So I find myself now trying to fact check friends and family and now a larger knit, a larger group of folks in the public. Um, and also, I think personally, just given the um, the time period we were living in, right, that if people remember that time period in March and April of 2020. I call it the time period where everyone was paranoid. Everyone was paranoid about everything. We lost all certainty we're looking for an authority figure or figures uh, that's not really coming from Washington at the time. We're getting more questions than than statements. And so uh, even to deal with my own stress and anxiety, I found that my best outlet was to try to synthesize, try to take in everything and synthesize it for friends and family. It's one of the reasons I always enjoy journalism, which is like take complex subjects and try to explain it in very basic terms to your friends and family. And I always got a thrill also of like informing someone first, like, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, and, and I think that is one of the many reasons I've always enjoyed this industry. So that's what brought me into this whole Instagram. I think uh, when, when I uh, read your feed, I always think that you do dumb it down that anybody could understand a complex subject, but you fall far short of making it too dumb. So I don't feel ever offended like, oh, I know that. He doesn't have to explain that. It's just that perfect line that seems to suit everyone. Everyone in my business here follows you. Everyone different age, different demographic, but everyone feels that you tell it just right. Now, how's that possible? <laughs> really, think about that. I, 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 listen, I, I think there's a lot of, first of all, people are smart. People want to be informed about their world. Um, as somebody who's been in the media for a long time, we, I recognize even more now the disservice we do, and the la we, we're not effective in explaining things to people at their level. And it's like if you're tuning into the news, you're tuning into the middle of a movie. And if you haven't been watching since the beginning, those of us in journalism and in TV, well, we've been following the story all along. So well said. Keep up. And so, like, we're telling you, you know, we're dropping in on a story on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, mm -hmm. which we know is a very old conflict. Mm -hmm. And so you're coming into the movie midstream, but people are, people, and people want to be informed and they want to be aware of what's going on over there, but they deserve some history and context. Mm -hmm. How did we get here? And it turns out that certain media are better than others at doing that. But in television, where I come from, I might only have a minute 15 for the story, 75 seconds, to tell you the latest in the Middle East. Okay, so I, this side saying this, that side saying this, the U.S. thinks X, back to you. Um, How and, luxurious does that feel to you that you have all that space to fill in, that it, you can kind of take your time and say exactly what you want to say? It's incredible. It's incredible. And the most incredible part, Barbara, is that in the mainstream media, we haven't quite figured out how to have a conversation with the audience. We have all these new tools. Now, up until a certain period of time, we printed a newspaper. And, and what do you mean by that? Haven't figured out how to have a conversation, meaning to connect for them to, under what do you mean exactly by that? On multiple levels. Yeah. One, um, you know, the idea of writing a letter to the editor has been around for a very long time. Um, and now we have social media, we have Facebook and Twitter where we can get feedback from folks. 
incorporating that feedback into our decisions, editorial decisions, is not something anyone's effectively figured out. And the audience deserves that. And so when we talk, you know, at some point about why people distrust the media, um, part of it is because they don't feel heard. Absolutely. I had never thought about that. But as you say, and I say, of course, there you go, making something complex seem simple. And, and, And frankly, it's something that I think you know, we dabbled at, I was at CBS News. You know, CBS News is 100 years old, the Columbia Broadcasting System, Edward R. Murrow, Walter Cronkite. We've been around telling you the news. And in many cases, it's literally a group of a couple dozen people who uh, they're reading the New, the New York Times and the Washington Post and maybe getting a couple of local headlines. What's the news today? Well, you know, George, this is what I think. Linda, what I think. Okay, that's our 20 minutes tonight. We can do about eight stories. Okay, nowhere in that process have we gotten feedback from the millions of people who are watching us. Mm. And but how how is that possible with everybody being so verbal online? Why how are they not just reading the messaging, or nobody thinks that news channels are going to change anything anyway, so they don't bother to say anything? I mean, listen, I have found really informed um, feedback from the audience. I've also found feedback that is not informed or effective, and downright yeah, rude. That would be my sister in Florida. <laughs> I've read her tweets. Um, so. <laughs> Um, and so I think, I don't know that we've developed the right mechanism for um, kind of curating mm-hmm. effective feedback. Um, and that's what I enjoy about Instagram is I can post a story. You know, today I posted a story about a 96-year-old uh, woman who's up on a, as a Nazi, ex-Nazi trial, right? This woman's in Germany. She's 96 years old. She was on the run. They've put her on trial because they're trying to prosecute whatever Nazis are still alive. And so I post that story, and within a moment... she's 95, she might be the last one. One of them. There's actually a trial for a 100-year-old coming up soon, too. And so one of the immediate questions I get from somebody, and I post a story, like, who the person is, what they're accused of, um, you know, why they were on the run, and uh, a little background on the concentration camp that, you know, she's alleged to have uh, been at. Somebody DMs me, like, why did it take so long to find this woman? (laughs) It's funny. Which is... A really good question. But it's also funny. <laughs> like 75 It wouldn't years. be my first question. It wouldn't be my I'd first say, question. how bad does she look? Uh, well, <laughs> well, she's been on the run, so we have to, I have to wait for photos to come in. And how and, fast could she run would be my second question. You know what she got? She took a bus to the subway. Like, it was really incredible. And actually, the people prosecuting her are saying she can't claim that she's weak. You know, if she's on the run, she probably deserves to be put in jail. And somebody DMs me like, well, why is it taking this long? And I'm like, you know, that's a good question. You know, and I get that question from somebody else. And this is just a few hours ago. I'm like, okay, so clearly there's a question the audience has that several people are thinking about that they felt encouraged to ask me. That you're well, getting immediately. I'm getting immediate yes. feedback. And we couldn't, I didn't ever had that at the CBS Evening News. No way. Like, I'd tell you a story. There'd be a barrage of tweets, mostly unhelpful. Um, and then I'll move on to the you know the broadcast the next day. But not to formulate a story. You didn't get tweets like that. Correct. Big difference. And I think there's a huge opportunity. Uh, listen, folks, I'm giving away uh, a, an opportunity to create some techno- some technological uh, software that allows you to curate this stuff in, in a real way, to kind of like social media 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever we're at, that allows the media to have that conversation, to solicit feedback. You know, what I'm getting on Instagram, which is like, it's a real-time feed. And it's actually, Instagram stories is one of the few places left in social media that allows you to do a chronological mm-hmm. story. Everything is so algorithmic now, yes, which is right. like, what is Barbara like? Let me send her more tweets of what she likes. Not necessarily in a chronology, but just a, 
I want you to stay on the platform. And so this is one of the few places where I can tell a story one by two by three by four, and then in that process, get real-time feedback. So what are you going to do with those two uh, inquiries? How are you going to find out those answers? I pursued it, and I I posted just now that uh, it turns out that German policy for many years was only to go after the biggest offenders, the most senior Nazis, and they let most of the low-level offenders kind of live live their lives until the last decade when they're like, you know what, we should go after those, that there needs to be some sort of justice around that. Moshe, let me ask you, taking that story, for example, how do you decide what you're going to cover? You seem to cover from hard politics, just happening politics, to soft subjects, uh, and you don't have the advantage of hearing from your readers, oh, let's uh, give me some more soft subjects today. How do you decide to curate that? Like, do you have a rule of thumb? You try to make it at 25% of this? What, do you have a formula you follow? Uh, no, it's it's more an art than a science. Um, and it's a whim. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in some no, cases... Tell me not. <laughs> well, not, not a whim, but... I'm interested in certain subject areas. I have certain television shows or pop culture references that make sense to me that might not make sense to everybody. At, at the bottom line... But they I'll, seem to. That's the irony of the whole thing. They all seem to make sense to everybody. Well, I, I, I try my best. Um, I'm also a child who watched a lot of television growing up. So I, seemed, I, I have a good knowledge and uh, was, uh, got a great uh, background in music and, and television from my parents, from the honeymooners to, you know, various music through the decades. So I feel like uh, I was an old soul, you know, listening to young body as, a, as an elementary school student. So um, I try to ensure that I'm covering the biggest stories of the day, the stories that you're going to be asked about at the dinner table or that will come up in conversation. So what's going on in Washington? What's going on in foreign policy? What's going on in tech and business? Um, you know, so it's monitoring the big guys. It's monitoring what is the BBC saying? What is CNBC saying? What is the New York Times saying? You're covering the major news stations, channels? Is that, or you're covering everything, trying to get everything? I start there. Yeah. I start there. Whatever the major national, international media reporting, what are the big stories of the day? Then are there interesting investigations um, that are happening out there or what did, you know, I approach it both uh, on the mainstream media outlets as well as Twitter and social media as, well, did I know that? That seems new to me. That seems interesting. Um, wait, there's a bunch of tankers outside of uh, the ports of Long Beach uh, and, and L.A. right now. Why is there an international shipping issue? How did that come about? Um, and then that leads me to the next question, which is like, okay, it's a supply chain issue. Well, what's the problem there? Um, oh, it's an issue in Taiwan. Well, let me go to some Taiwanese newspapers and see like what they're reporting locally and what's happening with the computer chip situation. So one leads me to the next to the next. So I try to do a mix of the top headlines, interesting deep dives, you know, like checking out the world of sports, entertainment, etc. You know, I, I will personally, you know, I'm a fan of certain television shows. So like anything related to Succession and a few other TV shows like are of like very of interest to me. But I will tell you, um, to answer the top of your question, I do get a lot of de- direct messages from people saying, can you give me a little good news? It's been a really depressing day. Really? And then you pay attention to it. You hop to it. And I'll try. I'll try to give them something inspirational. You know, I'll, I'll try to find something. Now, I'll also direct them to sources that only, you know, there's an account called Some Good News. But, like, literally all they do is good news. I was like, go over there. Like, that's their focus. But I will, I, like, there are some days that are really, you know this, like, you turn on the news, you're like, wow, it's been a really bad day no matter where you look. Is there someone doing something great? Is there something inspirational? You know, especially when I cover issues like climate change. Are there 
interesting entrepreneurs out there developing technologies that give you some hope that the world isn't going to, you know, the temperature won't increase by five degrees Celsius and we're all going to melt and all the animals are going. Like that, you know, there's an interesting technology being developed that just launched in Iceland where they're taking carbon dioxide and putting it into the ground. I don't think you covered that story yet. I, I, I did. I did one story. I didn't I, it. I, I, I'm sorry you missed it. I'll send it to you directly. But, but I'll look it up. I'll, because I got a lot of questions about it, which is, whoa, this is great. How, you know, but we needed it on a mass scale. So I'll try to look for signs of hope in our society, in our time, because, you know, I I feel like one of the reasons people tune out the news is because all we do is cover negative things. But what do you do for yourself? I mean, for your individual life, you're going through so much bad news to figure out what you want to cover. How do you turn off? How do you just not get discouraged or depressed by that? Media. I'm curating and reporting what I'm seeing in Afghanistan and what I'm hearing from trusted reporters there. And then I start to get messages from Afghans on the ground who are like, can you help me get out of the country? Mm. Um, Or Marines here at home who were trying to get their translators out. Mm. So I was posting like pictures of updated maps of the gates at Kabul airport Mm. and then getting notes from Marines being like, thank you for that. You know, like I now know there's three entries into Kabul airport to try, you know, as the chaos was happening there. But it, it, it really is, you know, you, you start to get these notes and you're like, I can't, I'm limited in how I can help you. And I, you seem I, like a nice enough guy that that would bother you. It does, it does. I, I internalize it, it bothers me. And, and I even, you know, I said to my wife a couple of those nights, like, I'm really, you know, I'm spent by this and I'm torn up by this. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know where to turn when I get a legitimate message from somebody who needs desperate help. And at the end of the day, I'm a, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm trying to report out things. Um, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm not a member of a, the Navy SEALs. Um, nor do I have the cell phone of a Marine at, uh, at the airport saying, let this family in. Um, how do I turn off? I'm, I'm still struggling with that, frankly, because this is still a new phenomenon. I've been doing this for about 18 months now. We're doing it every day. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm trying to find like just set periods of time during the day where I do this and then times where I definitely don't do this. Well, you said you're going when you walked in here today. You said you're going on vacation in Africa, right? Uh, I'm leaving for my honeymoon How are you going to do that? When you said I was so happy for a split second, I said, oh, my God, who's going to write our news when he's gone? I, You know, to be honest with you, I've been struggling with that. And, you should uh, struggle with it. I'm, a, I'm really annoyed at you. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you should have that vacation. <laughs> I it, it has led me to realize that I do need to cultivate a bench. Uh, of friends, colleagues, folks that I trust to take over. You know what that's called? A business. Correct. Um, And and frankly, that's where I've gone in these past 18 months. It became a whim on the couch watching briefings by Andrew Cuomo and President Trump and Anthony Fauci early in this to realize that there's a real audience for this um, that demands, you know, verified news that likes having it on a platform that's convenient for them. Um, and there might be a business here. There certainly is a business. That's my gig, business. I'm going to make you an offer right now. I'm going to give you $30,000 for 40%. Wow. And I'm going to write you the check right now, and I'm going to trust your handshake if you want to sell me 40% of your company for $30,000. Can I take some time? No, you cannot make a call. Wow, this is quite an episode of... Honestly, you'd be out of your mind to even contemplate it. Uh, yeah. What are you going to do to make this thing make money? I didn't mean to switch to the money piece. I had some other personal questions. but So the offer's off the table. No, no, no the <laughs> offer's on the table, but it, it, it leaves by maybe 
three o'clock today. You don't let an offer sit around. It doesn't, yeah, yeah. doesn't ever help. I, 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 well, I appreciate the offer. I'm grateful for the offer. And the beginning of the business is going to be in Africa. I mean, you're birthing the business. You've birthed the business, but you're going to build the business while you're in Africa. The minute you give somebody else, you delegate a piece of the business to somebody else, you've got yourself a business. So what are you going to do to make money with this? So that's the challenge, I think, that we face in the larger media space that no one has... I mean, the the um, the graveyard of digital media companies or media companies that have tried to make the pivot to digital in the past 20 years is very large. Those have been successful. Does that surprise you? You've been on the inside. You've seen them try to swing around. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me at all. Is it I just mean, because old guys can't learn a new trick? They don't see it right? They don't want to give up the territory they have? What stands in the way of that? It's a couple things. I mean, I'll, I'll use my most recent example at CBS. I was there for nine years. One of the things that I was lucky to get to do there was build a streaming channel that um, CBSN, which the, the first of its kind 24-hour streaming channel that we built for Roku and Apple TV and Amazon Fire back in 2014. Um, and that became a part of CBS All Access, now Paramount Plus. Um, and then we helped build 24-hour channels for uh, CBS Sports, for Entertainment Tonight. It's kind of this a bridge to the digital world. Of course it is. Now, the challenge I had then, I do the digital side, I come back to the CBS Evening News. Okay, I have 21 minutes after commercials. These commercials, we can charge people between 50 and 100 grand for a 30-second ad. The core of the business, the core of the business. And But when I look at the staff, 98% of the staff was devoted to the broadcast, and I had two people devoted to digital in the year 2018. Okay, well, if you were to start a new 30-minute show in 2018, is that how you would split the staff? And so you kind of go through that process, and among the things I discovered is that these companies, it's not that they don't get it, they get it, but they're like, well, but the, we're making most of our money over here. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to make a drastic change, um, and say, we're going to split the staff, and half the staff now... And when you're saying split the staff, I'm assuming that staff always represents content. Is that how it works in that field? Well, it's, it's content and technical and operations. But even, like, do we have enough folks who are innovating for the various new platforms? Absolutely not. You know, we're always behind the eight ball um, on, and that legacy media. But I think a couple of the things you discover is they understand the challenge, they understand where they need to go. But when you the core business is still you're making the vast majority of your money on the old business making that pivot is challenging it's also risky it's also you have a lot to lose i get it and then cultural the legacy of the company the legacy of the company is winning emmy awards and murrows and duponts and all these big awards we like to tout in journalism tout in journalism and uh and but this is the most important show. This is how we tell America what's going on. Well, America has shifted. The way we get our news has shifted. The platforms we go to has shifted. The companies have to catch up with that. And I think this is what you find, no matter whether you're in the media or any other sector, the legacy businesses struggle because they were built for a different time. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when I was building my real estate brokerage firm, my huge advantage was being tiny initially because I could make a left-hand turn, do something outside the box and have it, think of it on Friday, have it on the street on Monday. My competitors, when they started mimicking the stuff that worked, it was like a giant battleship. They think about turning left 10 degrees and have to plan it for three weeks, vet it with attorneys, their accountants. I'm like, they're never going to get it. You know, the size was a hindrance. But that's, you're citing for yourself exactly why your business is going to explode. You know that, right? I, 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 from your words to... Uh, I'm to always writing that kind of stuff. I, I, In I, fact, I'm, ra- I'm rising, raising, rising, rising my offer. <laughs> Another 5,000. What the heck? 
35,000 for 40%. Yeah. Noted. Okay. Um, I have to say the maritime exam- metaphor is perfect, which is it did feel like a battleship or uh, an aircraft carrier, frankly, at, at CBS. Aircraft carrier is huge, right? It's a small city on the sea. And you're a CBS. You've been around 75 years moving and pivoting to TikTok and, at the time, Snapchat. And what yeah. turning that is a, is a difficult process. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people, legacy infrastructure, people who are brought in. You know, I had staff, I had some staff that was actually brought in during Cronkite. And he left in 1981. Wow. And I'm in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that um, being able to be that small sailboat or pirate ship or however, you know, you want to go with and being able to pivot and be scrappy and be creative um, is an incredible, um, like, is, is a challenge because you like resources, but is incredible in terms of how quickly you can turn. Yes. Um, and so to answer your previous question, how are we going to make money? How do we turn this into a business? And haven't I seen recently a few ads? Yes. You've taken in a few ads, the first kind of revenue right. at all. Yeah, I, I started to get some sponsorships most recently. Did they come to you or did you say, hey, well, let's go out and get some people? They, uh, well, I, I am the sales team. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> there you go. Um, so far, I've been lucky. They've come to me. Good. Folks, folks have followed me. And I've also found that this Instagram account is great lead development for the media consulting that I do for ah. So I'm working with a couple big uh, brands and media companies on their streaming and content, which is the core of, of what I do. That's, you know, that's why the Instagram isn't, has been a, been a, it started as a hobby and then became a side hustle. And now we're like, okay, we can build this into a business. But in the meantime, it's, it's enabled me to meet folks and for people to become aware of me of for what I do professionally, which is, you know, consult and help folks tell their story and help them uh, develop their social media and new media strategy. So you're building a giant media company. It's not just a news channel. Slowly but surely. Of course. See, and I think you're smarter than you're letting on. I think you know exactly where you're going, and you know you're going to be filthy rich one day, super successful. Look at the way you're looking at well, me. And everybody's going to follow you. I don't know if you're scared, excited, or doubtful. It, all it, mixed up in those eyeballs. Barbara, it's a, it's, it is a, um, there's a whole bunch of psychology that goes into this. Oh, really? And, you know, well, you know. And so, uh, you know, like, I, I'm guilt like I have imposter syndrome, right? Like I I've been behind. You're gonna the leave it behind in about a week, but keep going. I, I'm I've been working through it these past 18 months, but you know I'm a, I'm somebody who's been behind the scenes for 18 years. I, yeah. You know, as a producer in television, you have talent that's on camera, and you're in their ear, and you know you put together the show, but they're the ones you know on camera, and so you have a huge responsibility. But at the same time, 99% of the audience has no idea that you exist or who you are. Yes. And suddenly you, you're at the forefront and you're like, wow. And you're in charge, the most important thing in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I enjoy, it's one of the reasons I got into journalism is I enjoy learning about new things. I see and that. like every day I wake up and a new story presents itself and I was like, I don't know much about the prosecution of 90, you know, 96-year-old Nazis in Germany, but I'm going to learn about that today. I don't know much about supply chain issues, you know, coming from China, but I'm going to learn about that today and seek out the experts who do that. You and also seem to have enough energy to be that curious. It's one thing to be curious. It could be a curse if you don't have the energy to match it, but it seems like you can take it, follow that track, and get to the end of it and, and look for the next one. It's I, really um, remarkable. I hope it doesn't stop. I'm very lucky right it now. Won't. I just, You're a young guy. I, it's not going to stop. I'm a young guy. I uh, I just got married. Um, you know, and I, I you hope know, she calms you down. She's an incredible influence on my life. She is. A partner. She's a business advisor. She's a uh, 
therapist. She's a chef. She's a little bit of everything. Wow, wow, wow. Renaissance um, girl. I, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, Alex, I, I, she helped me also, and I think this is the, something I, I didn't realize, is my whole life was for many, many years just devoted to professional achievement. I got satisfaction from the next job, from the next promotion, from the next achievement. And then at some point it just stopped. I wasn't fulfilled anymore. Um, like, what am I doing this for? And was had the great fortune of meeting her, and um, you know, it in taking me through you know the process of transitioning to being on my own for the first time uh, professionally, um, and through COVID, and you know, being that um, incredible partner to you know give me that extra boost or that confidence or that perspective. perspective. The most important thing in life is to wind up with a partner that supports you that you adore and love. I mean, I wish you could tell every kid who you marry makes the biggest difference more than any other choice you'll make, really, because it does. Well, that's what I found out so far, and so I'm you know, incredibly grateful to Alex. Do you for... have a prenup? Do I have a prenup? <laughs> yeah, do you have a prenup? <laughs> I'm just giving you good business advice. I have a prenup after yeah. my first husband married my second. I wasn't going down that aisle without a prenup. Uh, and I love him dearly, and it's been 40 years, so it meant nothing in the end. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love. Now let's get back to the show. So you have 175,000 followers in a year and a half. What, like, I just want to sit there and be with you when you finally said, holy crap, I might have something here. What was that, and what made you have that pause and realization, or have you not had it yet? I'm not sure you're totally there yet, actually. I don't think you give yourself nearly as much credit as I'm looking at you. There have been um, either messages or moments in the past 18 months where I started to get there and realize that this is a thing, right? Um, Like what happened? What was the event, or what was the feedback, or what led you to pause and say, hey... The first time I knew I could have impact was early on during COVID. I find some medical professionals and nurses following me, and they're sending me notes. Oh, thank you for posting that story about the lack of PPE in hospitals. Remember when we didn't have enough masks? Seems We're, absurd now. It seems totally absurd that the richest country on earth, like we, we one of the reasons we didn't suggest masks to society is because we didn't think we had enough for the hospitals, right? And then you find out, and this is why I think people question now the health authorities and the government because they made decisions that it turned out not not to be true for the, for reasons that um, are suspicious, right? And so you look back, and I was getting these notes, and they're like, hey, I'm seeing that at my hospital. I was like, can I post your message? You know, like engaging in a way. I'll post it anonymously. Fine. I post it. Within minutes, I hear from somebody else who's following me saying, I have a source in China that can get that person masks. Do you mind connecting me? Wow. A good power. Good power because you find out that not only do Americans want to know the news and be informed, but they also want to have impact. Once I've learned, how do I help that refugee? How do I help that nurse? How do I help that you know uh, family that's in trouble? And again, social media allows that conversation, that connection that I didn't have on the one-way street that is television. That's a much more complex process. And so that's a moment early on in this where I realize, wow. Then we get to the election in the fall of 2020, and I'm just inundated by people who are like, explain, I'm really embarrassed to say the Electoral College, what's the deal with that? Why do we have that? 
What can the Supreme Court say? If someone, if someone would give you a message about that. That's safe. Always initiated there. Typically, yes. Um, and, you know, or my uncle sent me this video. Is that legit? My cousin sent me this video. Is that legit? My, you know, and no, yes. For the most part, many of those weeks after the election, no, no, this is why, no, this is why, no, this is Now, in each of those messages, I hear another few words in the front that they're not saying, which is, I trust you. Is my uncle's thing legit? I trust you. Is it really true that such and such? Why do you think people trust you so instantly? I feel it's a variety of things. One, I have very, what has been reinforced to me through these past 18 months is that people no longer trust big brands. Mm -hmm. And when I say big brands, and I'm talking about the mainstream media, the idea that like, you know, I spent years at CBS saying, CBS News, real news, right? And we've reached a point now where people tend to trust individuals Mm -hmm. over brands. Mm -hmm. They want that connection. That's one. Two, I try to be as transparent as possible. And that's also something that we tend to make a mistake on. Now, give me an example of uh, apparently being transparent. Meaning, let me tell you what I know, and let me tell you what I don't know. Yeah. You do readily say that. And, and in television, well, here we know everything. Yeah. Well, we could do ourselves a great service of saying, let me tell you what we don't know tonight. Yeah, but let Walter me Cronkite was different. He knew it all. It was different. I'm but, only kidding. <laughs> I'm sure there was stuff he didn't know. So much. If you look back, if you look back, you know, I'm sure there's a, if, you know, he's given credit for his coverage of Vietnam. Let's go tick back and see what, you know, how long it took the mainstream media at CBS News to, you know, to not, to stop believing the Pentagon's lies as it turned out about the Vietnam War. But, you know, we tend to live in nostalgia and it is what it is. But, um, but I will say that one of the things, one of the ways to form trust is being transparent. Mm-hmm. We're not all knowing. Mm-hmm. This is what we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not perfect. And then beyond that, um, I think it's really for many folks that I've uh, started following me who tend to be from the right mm-hmm. is, well, why aren't you as critical of the left as you are of the right? Mm-hmm. That there is a. Do you hear of, that on both sides? I, I, well, sometimes I'll hear it from some liberals who feel that I'm being too harsh on, on the left, but I tend to hear that more from the right, who feel that the mainstream media is too liberal for them, that they're more critical. Do you think for, there's truth in that? I absolutely do think that, yeah. I Like, you know, and it's for a variety of factors, right? Where is the mainstream media located? In New York and D.C., very liberal places. Who tends to go into journalism? Progressives who want to change the world. I want to report on things and shed light on darkness. Who else goes into journalism? A lot of people from private private universities mm-hmm. who else goes into journalism well journalism pays very little to start with so you got to come from money or you got to be able to like you know risk being paid 25 grand a year initially mm-hmm. and so you start to look at these factors and suddenly your newsroom is 90 percent liberal mm-hmm. and newsrooms are getting much better about diversity of backgrounds diversity of race diversity of gender but there is no diversity of political ideology at least that hasn't been prioritized and that's something that i think is one of the reasons why Fox News rose so quickly. Wow, definitely. Um, because if 98% of your newsroom is pro-choice, half the country uh, is pro-life. So how do you ensure that your coverage reflects the variety of the opinion out there? So you How know, do you check your own bias yourself, though? I mean, there's no such thing as an opinion without a little bit of spin of your own personality on top of it. How do you check that? Or you're aware of it? Or you just don't worry about it because everybody's got a bias? I, I think you have to be self-aware. 
And yeah, first things first, let's start. Because some people will send me a message. I thought you were unbiased. I'm like, well, no. I thought you were God. (laughs) I almost sent that message a few weeks back on one of the stories. I'm going to tell him he's like God. Well, that's incredible. (laughs) A compliment. But, But I'm like, first... I would never claim to be unbiased. We all have biases. We're all biased based on our background, based on our gender, based on our profession, based on our friend circle, based on our soul. Like, we all have biases. Now, how do I report with at least amount of bias or most balance as possible? Check the bias. Recognize the bias. Seek out diverse sources. Seek out multiple sources that might make you feel uncomfortable, that might make the person you're a fan of um, be, be looked at in a negative light. Like... And that is something that, unfortunately, social media has made more and more difficult because you're reinforced opinions that you like because they want to keep you on the platform. It's like a big pile. Absolutely. Do you have exclusive sources? Do you seek that out? Or is it more just enough sources so that you can get enough information? A little bit of both. I mean, in certain subject areas, I have folks that I find very reliable um, on things. I had the good fortune of being in this business for long enough and and working, I covered Washington for 10 years, so I tend to have a lot of folks in D.C. and in politics um, or reporters that I trust that report on these things. So it's a whole variety of things. They don't do it with resentment over your instant fame and success. I would think that might get in the way. They're still working nine to five, maybe doing it from the living room, working for the big man, and you're asking them for information. I would think I say, let him get his own information. He's rolling the dough, this kid. <laughs> well, I I feel that um, I I have a, I'm very lucky to have a very good social network of friends who um, want to help one another succeed. I say, don't invite me in that circle. I say, screw him. Look at how well he's doing. He doesn't need help from me. I'm only kidding. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Does jealousy enter into you? What kind of feedback do you get from your colleagues who you always worked arm in arm with every single day? Uh, you must get feedback. Are they asking you for positions and say, I want to do what you do. How do I get started? Can I come work for you? What's, what's happening there? I've, I've had, it's less jealousy and more skepticism, you know, because like at the end of the day, you work at a traditional media organization and you're like, well, you know. But how could they argue? Uh, how could they be skeptics? I mean, they're seeing the followings jump up every day, every day. They're hearing your voice. They're seeing the traction you have. If anything, I would think that would all be interpreted as a wake-up call. And why not me? It's uh, Well, I think one of the questions is your question, which is how do you turn this into a business? Yes. Okay. So I think that's the challenge I'm focused on right now is how do I turn this into a business? How do I build this in a, in a smart way? Mm-hmm. I've been kind of letting the you know the gods direct me at this point and letting the stories direct me and then realizing i've gotten to the point now where i need to diversify beyond the instagram platform that i my main platform can't just be one owned by mark zuckerberg why is it well i i feel that one there the the audience the audiences now get their news from a variety of platforms we're doing this on a podcast some people you know go to youtube some go to twitter some go to tiktok some go to snapchat some go to Instagram. So your job now, if you're trying to get a message out, whether you're a brand or a media company, is to be in as many places as humanly possible. And so that's one of my goals. And so as far as my colleagues and friends are concerned, it's like, how do you make this a business? Um, how do you how do you grow this? Um, but I, for the most part, I've been very lucky to have, you know, a lot of folks who are rooting me on, some of whom say, Please get big enough so you can hire me at some point. So, you know, I, I starting to get, you know, nascent stages of getting some sponsorships. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to approach other platforms very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not going to 
jump and be on 10 different platforms tomorrow. Um, I'm going to take it one by one. You know, in particular, I think TikTok is a very interesting place and establishing a beachhead there, if you will, to use a military metaphor. Well, I love TikTok. Who doesn't love TikTok? The favorite child right now. It's, it's great. And, and it bring, it, the videos bring you joy and it seems to understand you. I mean, I guess if you look at it from a privacy standpoint, it might be a little scary, but it gets you. Do you think you could sing your news on TikTok? Listen, I could dance the news. I could sing the news. I could see that. Yeah. And you got the right face for it. <laughs> you do. That's a big piece of it. I have I, to be likable on TikTok I, for sure. Well, I'll, I I invite you to be in one of my first TikToks. Uh, I'll say yes. Once I learn how to TikTok, how, how are your TikToks? I do so, so well with TikTok. It's my favorite medium because you get to be yourself. And that is your forte. You are yourself in all the delivery of your news. So much so. And I believe my observation is that's why people trust you. Because what they see is what they get, which is the same person your mom's seen Saturday night at dinner. And and I think to to your point, one of the reasons people distrust the mainstream media is that we hold ourselves in the high esteem and we declare the news Absolutely. To you, people are over ourselves. it. And people are over that. Again, with all the props to Walter Cronkite, you know, who actually had an apartment a few blocks from here for many, many years. In that um, context back then. In that context, that's what America needed. But America, but the audience has changed. Habits have changed. Desires have changed. And again, these legacy institutions need to adapt to um, how... Um, how the audience, where the audience is, and how and what the audience wants. And good for you because you're the main dish on the menu. Good for you. How I can't wait to see how many people start mimicking you. I can't wait to see how successful you become. I have no doubt in my mind. I'm very proud of you, like I raised you, which I didn't. Well, thank you so much, Mosh, for coming here. You shared so much. You've been so open, and I've gotten a great education. And for anyone not yet following Mosh, make sure you check him out on Instagram. You can follow him at M-O-S-H-E-H. And while you're at it, follow me. And that's all we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me. Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.